Hi, this is Jennifer Javornik, and you're listening to the Film and Games Podcast. This year, I attended the Games for Change Festival in New York City. Tune in to all the interviews in this series to hear insightful conversations with some of the best minds in educational gaming. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Film and Games Podcast. This is Jennifer, and this week, I'm interviewing guests from Games for Change 2023. Um, Games for Change has been a great opportunity. It's This year, it's really changed. It's turned into a global festival. Uh, there's been so much energy at the conference, and I've met so many new people. Um, and as much as I love meeting new people, I always love the opportunity to reconnect with people that I already know and already love and respect. Uh, this next guest is one of those people. I recently met her but I've known her organization for a really long time. They were a former client of ours, and then we've just admired all the work they've done over the years. Without further ado, I will let her introduce herself. Hi, uh, I am Jane Lee, and I'm the Senior Director of Operations for iThrive Games. And iThrive Games, um, at iThrive Games, we lead the design of wellness-supporting games, tools, and curriculum to deepen learning experiences for teens and protect their mental health. And all of the work we do is with and for teens, so we always, always include youth in everything we do from the very, very beginning to the very end. What's the status of teens? Ooh, not good. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, it's tough because the pandemic compounded a problem that already existed. So, you know, we've seen suicide attempts rise 52% since 2000 to 2021, Um, A lot of teens are reporting persistent feelings of hopelessness and depression, um, many depressive episodes, more self-harm. And I think that social connection piece is really, really hard for teens who are feeling more and more isolated. And the work of adolescence is just uniquely challenging right now in the world we live in. What's, what does the, is it too soon to know, like, what's happening with teen post-COVID? Has some of those issues improved or are we still suffering the aftermath? I think we're still suffering the aftermath. And I think these problems were there before the pandemic. You know, I think it's really easy to say like, oh, well, the pandemic is to blame and that will change in the next few years. But I don't think that's true. I think that the problem's always been there and a lot of teens don't have access to mental health care. So I think it's like 60% of teens who have depression are not getting treatment. And that can be for a range of reasons. Um, a lot of teens also just don't have a supportive adult in their life. And that alone can determine a teen's future. That makes sense to me. So you work exclusively thinking about teens. Um, tell me, uh, well, what do you know about, what do we know about teens? Like what, what, yeah. what's the teen of 2023? Well, I, I know, I feel like it started on like a downer bummer note. That's Okay. <laughs> I'm glad that you jumped right into it. Yeah, but one thing I want to say is, like, teens are awesome. Like, teens are magnificent. And that's really the way we feel at iThrive is to not denigrate teens or say, like, they need something. But really looking at the power of the teen brain, it's a tremendous time of huge growth. So at teen, um, at adolescence, like, the adolescent brain is going through the most changes it ever will. And it's the most plastic. So that means it's going to change the most it ever will. And those habits that you build during that time are going to last your entire lifetime. So 
it's a super awesome opportunity for people designing experiences for teens to think about like, what do I want teens to know and how can I leverage what teens already do and want? And, you know, teens are thinking about the social contract. So they're looking at systems. They're thinking like, what about this is something that I care about and what is unjust in the world? So you see like a lot of teens today really care a lot about social justice issues, which is amazing. Um, they're naturally more rebellious, so they're likely to be more risk-taking, which can be good and bad. Um, I think today's, teens today are just like they're caring and they're really practicing their agency, I think, in thinking about what world they want to live in. So what do you think about at the intersection of teens and games? Yeah, I think it's such an awesome place for teens to practice the skills that they really need. So... A, I mean, you you know this, like a lot of students and teens will say, like, I just can't learn if I'm reading a book or it's not as interesting for me to sit in a lecture room and listen to my teacher talk. Games are just such a fun and playful way to practice skills that you need without it feeling really like spoon fed to you. Um, for us, like the work of adolescence is social and emotional and a lot of the time you don't get opportunities to practice some of the skills you really need, like emotional regulation, conflict resolution, until you're in the moment, you know, you feel that like adrenaline fight or flight kick in and then you say something you wish you hadn't said. Um, games are a perfect place for teens to practice those skills and not fail and not damage any relationships and really like feel um, stronger in their own social and emotional skills. I feel often when people think, talk about teens, they talk about, oh, they don't have an attention span. It's such a bad thing that they can't like sit down and read a book for three hours like I did. But I actually always look at it from the other perspective, which is like these teens who used to be kids have learned to consume so much information in really short periods of time. Mm -hmm. So somehow they can take in more information quickly and reading is kind of, I think a lot of teens are frustrated with reading because so it's too slow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's not multi-sensory. And even kind of the extrapolation of that is it's, you know, while the criticism is they just can't sit and read, um, you know, the flip side of that is like they're consuming a lot of information quickly and they want to get to applying it and experimenting with and like trying it on. And, and I think that's where games, uh, games really thrive. Absolutely. And it's an application of universal design for learning. You know, like if you say everyone has to read this or write this essay, you're only designing for the kids who are really going to feel confident in their skills to do that. There's so many other ways we learn. We want to practice. We want to play. We want to engage. We want to feel related to. Um, games allow for a full range of expression in that way, especially if you're doing it using universal design for learning principles. So let's talk about iThrive because iThrive has been around for uh, years, I know that kind of your mission has been solid and constant from the beginning, but what you've been focused on internally has evolved over the years. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about what you were actually focused. I know what your area of focus in, but what you were actually doing, like what, what is, what is taking your time and attention these days? Yeah. I mean, we've changed so much as an organization. Um, Definitely, you know, originally started almost like an advocacy organization, really listening to the industry and seeing where we could create the most impact. And where we're having the most fun and impact now is creating these games that really 
focus on building up teen social emotional skills to protect their mental health. So we're currently working on three super exciting projects right now. Should I just talk about them? Can you or? talk about them? Okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. So um, one of the projects is really focused on protecting teen mental health in the space of targeted violence and terrorism prevention. So the DHS has a program. Um, I know you guys are doing one of their grants next year, I think. Yep. Yep. And um, we are working with the Center for Counterterrorism at Middlebury University and our goal is to really increase bystander empowerment in the face of recruitment into radicalization. So unfortunately, teens are really being targeted by bad actors, especially in the gaming space. Like when people are logging on to gaming lobbies, being recruited into these really bad networks that um, are encouraging violent extremism. Our project is about helping teens recognize the signs of violent extremism, of radicalization, of an unhealthy relationship with a stranger or a person in their life who is trying to recruit them into these networks um, and do something about it, like to really not feel hopeless about it. So what do the skills they need to do that? Yeah. So really recognizing what's going on in the friend's life. We really positioned it around teens helping other teens. So teens are uniquely positioned to recognize um, warning signs in people who are likely to be targeted. So even better than parents, better than mental health counselors, better than teachers, teens and peers are best positioned to recognize that in someone who is going through that. So the skills that they need is are to, A, be able to identify and recognize what's going on. It's traits like bad actors saying like, oh, you're super smart. No one else understands you. The isolation that they try to create that try to bring you into these networks. Um, be feeling like you don't want to just be a bystander. You don't want to just say like, well, this is inevitable, or I just want to give up on my friend because there's nothing I can do about this. So really encouraging teens to have a compassionate response when things like this are happening and then see the skills they need to have these really tough conversations with people about, you know, this isn't the best path for you. And I understand why you feel this way, but let's seek another pathway for you. Ooh, where are you in development so far? Yeah. So we are about to start playtesting. I'm really excited about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. So it must be coming out, what, in the next six months, maybe? Or I think we're doing a pilot period because the DHS grants love to do a you know, yep. long pilot period. So I think probably within the next six to 12. Oh, cool. Yeah. And where is it going to be available? We are trying to figure that out. And I think that's a challenge with some of these areas. A lot of schools and educational spaces don't make space for this kind of information, even though they know it's super important. It so, is true. yeah, we're sort of struggling with that. And I think all of the TBTP grantees are also struggling with that. And, you know, I've had so many conversations at this conference. It's so easy to talk about like what we do and the impact. And there's so much research that it works. I think as soon as you start talking about like, how are you going to like actually get it into the hands of teens? It's yeah. like, oh, that's so hard. It is. It is. It is. And as game designers, we're not salespeople. Right. Yeah. We're not salespeople. And I think the other thing is that um, by the time someone's a teen, they're choosing their own media yeah. and they're choosing popular media and they, there's so much identity around what media, you know, I'm a call of duty player. Or I play Fortnite or PUBG mm-hmm. or, um, so it's like, when is anyone going to choose this awesome game that you're creating? 
Totally. Probably not. So then you're like, okay, well, I can understand that. It's like, so then what would be the vehicle to like introduce this kinds of media? Uh, it would be schools. <laughs> but yeah. the schools are like, well, we have 5 million things to do and all these standards we have to teach. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so I totally, uh, I sympathize and um, it's a, it's a good, I keep, I keep uh, going in circles in my brain or keep having these conversations because I hope something emerges that we can figure this out. I agree. Yeah. I really, I think we're all facing the same challenge in this space. And so it would be great if we could sort of form coalition and <laughs> work together to sure. solve this problem. In. I'm in. Uh, all right. Project number two. What are you working on? Yeah. So it's actually funny. This game has so many similarities to the DHS project I just talked about because it's about healthy relationships. So we're working with One Love Foundation and Playmatics. Which foundation? One Love Foundation. Okay. Um, they are working to prevent um, teen intimate partner violence. And then we're working with Playmatics on the development to develop a game that helps teens um, recognize the signs of an unhealthy relationship and have conversations with their friends about those healthy, unhealthy relationships. So how to help a friend in an unhealthy relationship. Um, I'm having so much fun on it. It's so complex and so interesting. Are you talking to teens about their intimate relationships? What's going on with that? Absolutely. I mean, it's so interesting. Like it's so different for teens now who oftentimes don't even have a defined label to their relationship, right? They're talking, they're, they're not even saying talking. Um, they are not using the word girlfriend or boyfriend sometimes, Um, but what we spent a lot of time talking to teens about was what would make you have a conversation with your friend if you felt like they were in an unhealthy situation? Um, and how would you, how would discomfort show up for you in your body in your mind? What were some of the reactions you would feel and what would you need to push you to really have that conversation? And then we took all of those insights and really put them in the game and especially designing for the teen brain, knowing that, you know, teens are more likely to, perceive um, negative reactions to things, even in neutral situations, you know, like that whole feeling of like, oh, people are always watching me and judging me and uh, that my friend is going to get really upset at what I have to say. Um, And then teens are also so reliant on their peer networks more so than their parents at that specific age. And so, you know, the fear of losing friendships, if you say, hey, I, I don't know about this relationship and them choosing the partner over you. So really wanted to expose teens to what that could look like and some skills to practice having those tough conversations and how to regulate the emotions that come with that. Like if you're actually feeling really angry that your friend is in the situation and you wish they weren't, you know, how do you get over that and have a conversation with your friend that helps protect them? How do you, that's, I'd love your thoughts on, um, what strikes me about these two different projects that you're working on, and we're going to hear about the third, is a lot of them are relationship and dialogue based. Yeah. From game design perspective, how do you guys go about creating the dialogue and what kind of dialogue mechanics um, you feel are most impactful when you're trying to teach teens how to communicate and yet we're also kind of limited from a technology perspective of like how we can have teens like authentically generate communication in a game. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think a one thing we definitely try not to do is like use any slang <laughs> because it so quickly feels really outdated and like not relevant. Um, but we work with 
teens throughout the entire process of, of you know, developing the dialogue and playtesting it. So we say, does this feel natural to you? Did this feel authentic? Does this represent, you know, the way that your friends talk and also like the way your friends look in terms of the diverse representation of um, body types, of skin tones, of um, sexual identity. And um, I think for us, it's not necessarily about like prescribing a certain vocabulary, but about encouraging a framework of inquiry. So, you know, treat your friends with compassion, with curiosity. It doesn't need to sound like this, but it could sound something like this. Um, Really giving them a range of options to choose from and um, a range of environments to be in so that they can try out different styles. Got it. Okay. So you're thinking of, so really from a game design perspective, it's like branched narrative, but you're doing it in different environments and contexts. Yes. Like one of the conversations in this healthy relationships game, which is called Cadence, um, is going to be done over phone. So we heard from teens, like, I want to talk to a friend about an unhealthy relationship in their life, but I think I'd be too scared to do it. Could I do it over text? I'd rather do it over text. And we said, okay, let's give you tools to do that. Um, So one of the conversations is about how do I encourage this person to not be in an abusive relationship over text where I cannot see their facial expression and know how they're going to react to what I'm saying. Yeah, that's a really good, um, that's a really good use of the technology. I also feel just playing games, a lot of times branch dialogue games that happen in a phone just feel more natural. Yeah, sure. Because we're used to seeing the bubbles pop up and how it does in the cadence. So I'm excited about that. Okay, third game. The third game, we're working with FEMA um, to develop a disaster preparedness game. Ooh. Yeah, and so that one is really about um, getting teens in the right mindset to prepare for and survive a disaster. So it's both about saying, like, hey, teens as influencers of your parents, like, have a conversation about are you prepared um, for any type of emergency that could occur? And B, how do you practice growth mindset to know, you know, even if you aren't with your parents or with an adult in your life, how can you build the knowledge and the attitude that like, I can get through this, whatever happens, I can take a moment to calm myself, regulate my emotions, and then figure it out. You know, a lot of emergency management is like A, preparedness, and then also B, like how quickly can you think on your feet and not catastrophize? Or say, this isn't happening. I'm not going to deal with it. And is FEMA going to use the game in some particular training or way? Or is it a game just being made that's going to be out in the universe? It's going to be out in the universe um, on their website. Oh, great. Yeah. One thing that might not be clear to people, because I know I just recently learned this from you, is kind of the types of staff members and the types of services you offer. So clearly you've talked about three projects you're currently working on with clients. So what are the types of people or roles that you have in your organization? And then what kind of partnerships do you like to create? Yeah. I mean, partnership is critical to our work. We love partnering. Um, On our team, we have um, social psychology experts. We have psychologists, we have researchers, we have game designers. Um, obviously, you know, like operations and marketing and communications roles, et cetera, but we don't do any development in-house in terms of our software. So we love to partner and just see it as a really fun opportunity to work with different people in the space in a really dynamic way. 
Um, and then obviously we love partnering with teen serving organizations who care about the wellness of teens. That makes sense to me. So that means you guys are thinking about like not only the systems and the research in the field, but also game design. Are you going all the way to visual design or do you also partner with that? We do partner for that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. So what are your best types of partnerships? Good ones. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where people aren't jerks. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've talked a lot at iThrive about like what makes a good partner because I think everyone knows, has an experience where, you know, you show up to a partnership and the person is really just there to get paid. So that's not the type of partnership we look for. Um, You know, we really look for people who would do this even if the money wasn't there or would be seeking the funding to do it even if the opportunity wasn't there. Um, People who care about teens and people who are going to value the impact and opinions for teens um, over their own ego. Oh, that's a great great way to put it. Very clear, (laughs) Jane. I think, yeah, I was kind of thinking the same thing as I asked the question, like, A lot of times too is, you know, we also work with like, like complex multi-organization partnerships. And it's not that I want that we need every partner to stay in their lane because then you're missing opportunity. But there is something about, you kind of have to pre-decide, we want everyone to contribute to every part of the project. But in the end, we, I like Projects that seem to work the best is when by partner we define where ultimately does the decision-making or expertise lie, Yeah, right? So we're all human, even though let's say I'm an artist, it doesn't mean that I don't have valid opinions about the game design um, or the subject matter. It just means though that, that we want you to express your opinion but then ultimately we're entrusting the game designer to process the feedback and figure out how to implement it. Sure. Yeah. And I think it comes back to the sort of like design pillars you set at the beginning of the project of like what are negotiables and what are not. Mm -hmm. And then it also comes down to the end user, right? Like what are teens really feeling about this? And is it actually going to have the impact we want to create? So do you have like a, do you have teenagers on speed dial? Like do you have a community of iThrive teenagers that are also learning about game designs that are with you project to project, or do you like mixing it up? Yeah. I mean, I would never speak to a teen. <laughs> <laughs> they won't answer. So you better text. They wouldn't answer. <laughs> um, yeah, we do have a team network. Um, you know, we go into schools sometimes to do co-design, you know, we're always doing co-design with teens at the beginning of a project. So before we even have any ideas, we go into a room and say, Hey, what do you guys think about this issue? What's sticky about it? What's interesting about it? What's challenging about it? Um, we like to do a lot of like, where does the emotion related to this thing live in your body and how would you manage that? And then the design for the game comes from those conversations. And so they're always part of it. So we've built up a lot of relationships with teens over the many projects we've done and through the, you know, teachers and schools that we work with. So yeah, we have a teen network and, um, always looking to expand that. So if any teens are listening to this and they want to be part of that teen network, like reach out to us. We have a page on our website. Oh, great. That's so good to know. And if you're a parent of a teen, you can also show the website to your teen yes. if they're interested. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, thanks. Well, thanks for the update. Uh, tell me, so I know now where iThrive is today. What are, where would you love to be like aspirationally? What are still think areas you'd like love to grow into? Yeah, I think in the education space, I think I'd really love to look at um, 
some STEM stuff related to, like, I think you and I actually had this conversation recently of like, let's look at math anxiety. You know, let's look at how to make engineering programs um, focus on SEL skills as well. I'd love to look at that space. Um, and then, Which makes sense to me because for better or for worse, most kind of curriculum, there's not like, there might be a health class in high school, depending on what your state requires, but there's no like curricular time for these SEL skills that are going to be skills that will actually serve them through the rest of their lives. So if we can kind of weave it in. Yes, they're life skills. And every project that you work on with a person, whether you're a teen or you're an adult in a workspace, like you're using social emotional learning skills. So I definitely think the more that we can do that in younger education, the better. Um, And then personally, and then also as an organization, but like for me, my passion is in mental health. Absolutely. And so I think we'd really love to be working on more games for mental health around, you know, teen anxiety and depression and increasing accessibility to real resources that help teens, especially in areas where there's geographic limitations to getting access to care. Have you seen any solutions that you think are on the way to being kind of the right solutions? I I think a lot of people are playing in the area, which is awesome. Yep. Compared to, you know, a few years ago. Um, I'm excited to see where it goes. And I think there's a big question there around, like, what is the funding mechanism going to look like? Because there's definitely a lot of, like, VC funding for more consumer-facing mental health apps. And then you see, you know, more university approach where there's something really steeped in research, um, but maybe no commercialization plan. So I, I think it's going to saturate the market soon. I just don't know what that's going to look like. I agree. I've seen like there's different fidelities too, right? Like just tools, but then all the way to solutions. So we'll have to see. I also am so encouraged to see uh, Ubisoft and Riot at Games for Change because talk about who access, like they just have scale and they certainly have teen market. So absolutely, I love what they're thinking about in terms of slowly just tweaking or adding like limited time um, changes to their games, kind of thinking about how they can embed either raise awareness or embed practices um, because that's when we get scale. Yeah, absolutely agree. And, you know, they're, they look amazing these games. So they're the best way to capture a teen's attention. Agreed. Um, So what do you think about games for change this year? Um, I mean, it's always super fun. I think it's such a great place to like refill your creativity and inspiration and see what is happening out there. So it's been great. Yeah, I agree. Same thing. Um, It seems to be getting bigger and also more global every year. Yes. Which is amazing. And then, like you said, there's a lot more focus on mental health this year, I think, which is awesome. And then I'm also hearing um, a lot of speakers talk about including their end users and their design, especially teens. So talking about co-design more and more, which is awesome. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Before we wrap up, I'd love to hear about what you're working on next. Yeah, I'm super excited because we have a proprietary role-playing platform called iThrive Sim, where players really... um, react to stimuli and then live action role play with their peers um, about really intense, um, stressful situations, but also, you know, they're practicing conflict resolution, they're practicing emotional regulation and um, communication, successful communication and decision making. 
When you say live action, that means there's like a prompt in a digital experience, but then they have a real conversation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So they are um, on devices reacting to a situation that is being laid out for them. And then they are making decisions within the platform to advance the story. But during that time, they're communicating with their team on how to proceed. And sometimes people are, you know, set up at opposing goals um, or they have similar goals. We have one about journalism. We have them one about the attempted assassination of a fictional president. Um, and they all really relate to core content that has to be taught by teachers. And we um, just got funding to enhance the data capturing and assessment features of the platform. So nice. really looking at how do you measure social emotional learning skills within game. And so I'm super excited to be working on that next. How are you going to do that if all the conversations are live? I think there's a lot of possibility with looking at how you're communicating with people, um, what actions you're taking within the game in terms of decisions. Um, and then for a future conversation, I think like I'm very curious about how we can use AI to be really looking at people's like speech patterns and actually pick up to what they're saying. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Well, you have guys have a lot to do. Yeah, but so do you. <laughs> I know. The work isn't done, and that's why we're still here. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. Today. Thanks so much for having me. So see you. Uh, and thanks for everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to the Filament Games podcast. If you like to hear more about games, game-based learning, and what's happening at our studio, subscribe today on iTunes or Stitcher. And be sure to visit us at our website, filamentgames.com.